first reading is Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people and the Lord blesses his people with peace. The second reading is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 31. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Do not, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Thanks, Suzanne. Do turn back to the, the first reading, Psalm 29, which was page uh, 558. Page 558. And I'm going to pray. 
how this psalm speaks of the awesome power of your voice, your word. And we long to hear your voice now. We long to know its power in us. Please, so speak and change us, please. Help us to see you in all your glory. Amen. Well, this morning we're thinking about the truth that God is glorious. That's the wrong title on the screen. That was last week, I think. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others, is the fourth of our four Gs we're thinking about. The Bible says that the earth one day will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. But that day has not yet come. Even in the church, so little do we know and grasp his glory and the world at large. So few see and know anything of it at all. One day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. You might also remember Isaiah's vision of God in the temple. He said, I saw the Lord high and exalted sitting on a throne and above him there were two angelic beings, two seraphim who were crying out, calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it makes me want to ask myself, ask you, have you noticed that? Did you miss it? Now the psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Have you heard it? Or did you miss it? There's a poem by someone called Elizabeth Barrett Browning, which includes these words. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. The whole earth is full of his glory, the seraphim sing. Yet most of us, most of the time, just don't notice. We pluck our blackberries or whatever. God is glorious. Fourth G. We've been doing this little series throughout the month. Four great truths about God. We've thought about how God is Good and great and gracious. And I guess all those words, that sort of ideas we're familiar with, and they're words we easily understand. This fourth G, glorious. Well, it's a kind of word we use. It's a good sort of Bible word, glory. But I guess it's one we don't so readily really know what it's talking about, what it's speaking of. Typically, in everyday speech, we associate glory I suppose, with success, with fame. And it's a rather superficial thing, a rather fleeting and fragile thing. These days, reputations are very quickly ruined in our cancel culture. It's, uh, God's glory is very, very different. It's not superficial because it speaks in the Bible of the, the essence of who God is 
All that he is being somehow revealed to us. Like the brilliance of the sun shining forth. It's his splendor, his majesty being made manifest. Human glory is often a rather flimsy thing. Divine glory, God's glory is anything but. Actually, the Hebrew word for glory has the the meaning really of, of weightiness, of heaviness. It implies something of substance, something that truly, ultimately matters. If I brought a helium balloon in here and let go of it, it floated up to the ceiling. We could ignore it. I'm sure there would be a number of you. So it's distracted looks from time to time, see how it was doing. But for the most part, we carry on and completely ignore the balloon. But if last night that big horse chestnut in the church garden split, as I fear one day it might, and uh, half it came crashing down through the roof, and it was sort of filling uh, the, the building. Well, that is something if we turned up this morning. We, we couldn't kind of ignore that. We couldn't sort of carry on with church as if the tree weren't there. Everything would have to sort of acknowledge it. And we'd have to orient ourselves around it, adjust to him. And God's glory, if you like, is like that. He has weight, substance. Everything else should adjust to him. He is the most significant truth, the most significant reality that there is. Imagine an elephant jumping into a whole pile of those tiny polystyrene balls, okay? Which would just sort of be sent everywhere, wouldn't we? The God is the elephant. Everything else, everything else is lightweight and adjusts to him. That's the reality. And yet so often we treat God as like the helium balloon. They're all very pretty and we notice it occasionally. But by and large, he has no bearing on our lives. About 30 years ago, um, an academic called David Wells wrote this. And I find the word still telling. He said this, it's one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. I don't mean by this that he's ethereal, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. He's lost his saliency for human life. Those who are sure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television, his commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence his judgment no more awe-inspiring than the evening news, and his truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. That is weightlessness. We've nudged him out to the periphery of our secularized lives. Like a helium balloon is how we often think of God. But God is glorious. That means the complete opposite. And this psalm, I hope, will help us grasp afresh and reflect on God's glory. So let's look at it together. At the heart of it, verses 3 to 9, David's describing a storm, a magnificent, powerful, 
thunderstorm that sweeps in from the sea, from the Mediterranean, hits land, it seems, up in Lebanon to the north, and sweeps down through Israel to the desert of Kadesh in the remote south. Get that sense of movement in the psalm. There's another movement, too, from heaven to earth. So the psalm begins, verse 1, with David appealing to the heavenly beings. And it ends, verse 11, with David speaking of the Lord's people on earth. And in that final verse, after all the thunderous noise, it gives way wonderfully to peace. That final verse, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Do you remember the angelic choir who sang to those shepherds on the hillside the night that uh, Jesus was born? Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. They might almost have been reflecting on Psalm 29, which begins, glory to God in the highest heaven. And then ends with peace for his people on earth. Well, let's look at it. Verse 1 reads like this. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He's addressing the heavenly beings who can see the Lord's glory. They worship the Lord in the very splendor of his holiness. But what they see, David sees reflected. He, he sees glimpses of in this storm. He goes on to describe. Verse 3, the, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Imagine a massive storm building up out at sea. Hurricane winds, massive waves, and then it hits land with destructive power, lightning bolts striking the trees. He, he speaks of the cedars of Lebanon, which were the, the kind of the most famed trees of the region, the biggest, the most spectacular trees one might imagine at that time in that place. We might think of the, the giant Californian redwoods. But he says, verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon, as though they're toothpicks or matchsticks. He snaps them. And ear-splitting thunderclaps shake the very earth. I remember a few years back on holiday in France, and there was an absolutely magnificent thunderstorm. And the rest of the family decided to retreat to the house and watch it safely from in there. I wanted to experience it properly. So I stayed in my deck chair in the garden, soaking wet, but just marveling at this, this lightning all around and the crashing and everything else. Lightning that was clearly getting closer and closer. And suddenly there was the al most almighty thunderclap, which I don't know quite how, but it threw me out of my chair onto the, onto the floor and the little family just laughed at me. and thought, how ridiculous. But they, I don't know, I'm terrifying. And yet it says nothing to this. Look at verse 6. He makes Lebanon 
leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. On the Met Office website, they give sort of handy tips about what to do in a thunderstorm. It's all, I'm sure, very, very helpful. Don't play golf, there's various things like that. They doesn't include the advice that David wants us to hear. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. David would have us know that should be our response as we see in the storm, as it were, just a glimpse of his glory. That should be our response. Wow, Lord, you are very great, very powerful, and holy, and glorious. Extreme weather events become all too frequent. We're praying for them in our prayers. And of course, they should stir in us compassion for those who've been affected. They should stir in us concern about the man-made causes. But one response, as we see the power and might in nature, should be to say, glory, glory. What a great and awesome, terrifying God we have. Awesome is a rather trivial word in some ways, but what's become so. But our God is truly awesome. Actually, in particular, David reflects on God's word. You see how seven times actually in those verses, three to nine, as he describes this storm, he speaks of the voice of the Lord. Those loud thunderclaps, the, the noise of the storm. A reminder to him, as it were, a little pointer to the power of God's voice, God's word. The word that created all things in the beginning. Verse 3, it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And that little phrase, I think, is a deliberate echo of Genesis 1. It speaks of the Spirit hovering over the waters. And there God's created everything through his voice. By speaking. The waters he speaks of, often in the Bible, re refer to the chaotic forces of evil. But verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Utterly, utterly sovereign over everything. That's how glorious God is. His voice is the one that stirs the storm. His voice, too, is the one that can still the storm in an instance, as Jesus, is. Jesus did when he commanded the wind and the waves to be still. His voice, actually, the Bible says, is the voice that sustains the universe. His is the voice that one day the dead will hear and rise. A word of Awesome power. That's what David wants us to reflect upon. And yet, so often, so often for us, his word is weightless. It's a, more like the sound of a paperclip being dropped on the ground, which we might notice, but we might ignore. 
rather than the crash of thunder that is shaking the earth. How little we see and grasp God's glory, God's weightiness, his awesome, terrifying and wonderful glory. Yet in a mighty thunderstorm, David's saying, we get a glimpse of what God is like. To stand exposed, unprotected in the path of a storm like this would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Absolutely terrifying. But imagine if you could watch that storm from absolute safety. Imagine being in a brilliantly impregnable lighthouse watching these hurricane winds and the, the seas and the mighty crashing waves, thunder, lightning all around, still be rather terrifying in a way, or inspiring. Yet at the same time, you'd know you're safe. And that is how it can be for us as his people, marveling at this awesome God who is wonderfully, beautifully, Glorious. Look how the psalm ends. Verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. We're safe if we're one of his people. He gives strength, it says, to his people. And we're to understand at the end of this psalm that giving, his, giving strength doesn't mean a little boost in the arm. As Paul says, it's incomparably great power that he gives us. That same mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Not just peace after the storm. I think peace amidst the storm too. The waters are sometimes in the Bible a metaphor, all kinds of things that threaten to overwhelm us. And we might, at the moment, think of things like that, threatening to overwhelm us. Things, anxieties, worries, pressures we are under. We're to remember that God is Lord over the storm. He's the one who gives strength to his people, who blesses his people with peace. And so we can trust him amidst the storm. Now, when David wrote this psalm, he, he actually wasn't simply making the point that God is glorious. I think his point was also that Baal, the God of the neighboring peoples around him, the God that the Israelites again and again were tempted to worship. His point was Baal really isn't glorious. He was thought to be the, the storm God. That's how he was viewed. But David is saying the true God of the storm, the God who sits enthroned over everything, the God whose power and might we glimpse in the thunderstorm, the God the heavenly beings worship, the God who is uniquely and supremely glorious is the Lord. David's saying, fear him. Fear him with trembling awe, trembling trust. 
fear him and not Baal or anyone or anything else. We've nicked this this little sermon series from a, a book that Tim Chester wrote, You Can Change, a very helpful book. And it's in one of the, the chapters of the book that he unpacks these four G's, four great truths about God. And as he does so, he does so to show how these truths counter common lies, four wrong ways of thinking we often fall into. And his point on this G, God is glorious, so he says, I don't have to fear others. If I've grasped that God is glorious, that he is the one I should fear, then that loosens the grip that other fears so often have on our hearts. And one very significant fear for most of us is fear of others. So as we close, we're going to just turn to that second reading, Matthew uh, chapter 10, turn back there, which was on page uh, 975, and some words of Jesus to his disciples. Matthew 10, page 975, where Jesus is warning the disciples that there will be storms that they will face. Verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he warns them that there will be hard times, there'll be persecution, there'll be opposition they will face because of following the Lord Jesus. But he says, verse 26, do not be afraid of them. Or verse 28, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying the answer to our fears, fear of others, is to have a right fear of God. Yeah, people can sometimes say and do horrible things. But we do understand God is infinitely more powerful in what he can do and also infinitely more loving than we might suppose. Verse 29, he goes on, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Yes, he's the God of the storm. But he's also the God of each and every sparrow, Jesus says. The God who knows every hair on our heads. He's our Father who cares for us, absolutely sovereign. He sits enthroned over the flood, absolutely loving too. Fear him. Fear him with trembling trust and don't fear others. Jesus, of course, particularly has in mind fearing others who might oppose us for our Christian faith and give us a hard time. But actually, we fear others for a whole host of reasons, if we're honest, don't we? We give weight 
to what others think of us. We give weight to their opinions as though that's what matters to us. Their opinion is the heavy thing that so often we are mindful of. And God's opinion, how he loves us, well, it's rather like that helium balloon, all very pretty, but seems rather lightweight. We give glory to others instead of giving glory to God. And we'll learn how foolish that is, how blind that is. God is the one who is truly glorious, truly weighty. This God of the storm, this God of the sparrow, awesome and majestic, loving and kind. Give glory, give weight to him. Fear him. Make him the substantial reality that you orient your life around. The heavenly beings who worship him in the, the splendor of his holiness, they of course see it. All in his temple cry, glory. And we need our eyes opened to see that too. To see that the whole earth is full of his glory and points to him. Not just the storms, not just the stars. All creation, as it were, has his fingerprints all over it and points in different ways to aspects of his glory. And of course, for us now, his glory has most wonderfully and especially been revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the weighty reality that we are to build our lives on. Fear him with trembling trust. Don't fear others. Don't fear what others might think. Don't fear the storms, the waves that maybe at the moment are threatening to overwhelm you. Fear the one who is over the storm, the one who gives strength to his people in the storm and blesses his people with peace. Fear him, our good and great and gracious and glorious God. Let me pray. One day, Father, we will worship you in the splendor of your holiness. And on that day, we will give you the glory that is your due. And we're very conscious that we don't do that yet. But please help us more and more to grasp your glory, to make you the substantial reality in our lives where we find weight and significance. Please free us from that fear of others, even fear of storms of life. Teach us to fear you. For your name's sake, amen.